How are you this morning? All right, that's pretty good. That's, I was expecting less than that, so way to go. You're more awake than I, than I expected. We are going to pivot this summer, and we just closed our series on Romans, and we're going to start a, a new series this summer. What I want to do is I want to share stories. I want to share the same stories that Jesus told. These are the parables of Jesus. I love stories, and Jesus loves stories, and Jesus loves stories because he knew that we love stories. Here's what I want to say about these parables. Uh, Jesus told a bunch of them, over 50 or so, and these parables are, 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 are simple stories that explore deep spiritual truths, and, and they're for us. Jesus, the creator who became man, could have very easily lectured us, come to earth, put us in classrooms, and said, okay, here's what I'm going to teach you, and then I'm going to test you, and if you pass, way to go. If you fail, you got to listen to me again. And uh, he didn't do that. He, he shared stories, and he shared his life with us. He wants to relate to you and to me. And that's what these parables are. We get the word parable from the Greek parabola. Para means to compare, and abola means to, to throw something. And so he, he is comparing uh, these stories to our lives, and he's throwing these spiritual truths that sometimes come out of left field for us. And we were like, whoa, Jesus, I didn't know that you meant that. And my hope is that these stories encourage us to continue to follow Jesus, maybe to begin to follow Jesus as these stories really are an on-ramp. Jesus speaking our language, relating to our experience here on earth, and welcoming us into a relationship with him. That's what he answered in Matthew chapter 13. He's talking to the disciples, and they are asking him, Jesus, why are you sharing these parables? And he says, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. So to those who listen to these parables, it's almost like an appetizer for the other things that Jesus and the scriptures teach us about God and, and who we are in him. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. So all they hear is maybe just a, a myth or, or this story that they do nothing with. That is why I use these parables. The parable that we're going to talk about this morning is the parable of the lost sheep. It's in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. It's one of three parables in Luke 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son or the prodigal son. We're only going to be talking about the lost sheep this morning. The reason why I chose this parable to begin with is because it reveals the Father's heart. It reveals big picture what God is all about. Maybe this morning you are here at church, and it's been a while since you've been at church, or maybe you've been coming to church, but you feel distant to God this morning. We will see God's heart for you and for me through this parable. Uh, have you ever lost anything? Maybe your keys, maybe your child, I don't know. No, not, no judging, but you know, we lose things sometimes. That's why we have things that we can track now, right? The find my fill in the blank on our phones. I lose stuff all the time. It's one of the things that I need to grow in. I, I, I lose 
stuff. One of the things that I lost once was my ring. I was on an airplane. Uh, I don't remember what movie I was watching, but it was a war movie and it was tense. So I was doing this right here, watching the movie. And before I knew it, I, I took my ring off and I was playing with it and it fell. And I did not hear the cling, which meant that, you know, it stopped. And so I just thought, oh my goodness, it just rolled all the way to the front or the back, depending what the airplane was doing. And I was filled with that dread. You know what that dread I'm talking about? When you lose something and you're like, did I just lose that forever? So I was thinking about coming home and telling my wife I lost my ring, watching a war movie, kind of embarrassing. It was all tense. And uh, the the plane landed about 30 minutes uh, later. And I had already talked, you know, this whole scheme of how I was going to find my ring. And I told the people in front, the people in back, and I was about to make it even more public. Hey, everybody, lost a ring. Help, please. Embarrassing. Didn't have to do that because my buddy Ben, who was sitting next to me, uh, 30 minutes of dread, looked over into my pocket and he goes, here it is. It fell into my front pocket here. So that relief. Do you know what relief feels like when you find something? I remember another time we were swimming in uh, the Keys back when I lived in Miami and a friend uh, and, and his family, we were snorkeling. And a shark, big shark, not a nerf shark, a big bad shark swimming there. So what do we all do? We swim to the boat and we get to the boat. And we're like, where is my friend? And we look out, thankfully a couple waves later, see him, whew, relief. You know what I'm talking about, the dread and the relief. It, it goes uh, into the story, but there's maybe no greater dread that I've ever felt and greater relief that I've ever felt when I lost my brother It was 2010. We were in South Africa for the World Cup. Long story short, it was a gift that he and I got to experience the greatest celebration of the greatest sport in the history of humanity. Okay, fine. Besides pickleball. There's pickleball and then there's soccer. And we're there. And it's our last, we, we, long story, but we got to go to a, a, a few games. Again, huge gift. And uh, last game, I just want to soak in all the experience, take my time walking back to the hotel. And he says, hey, I'm not feeling good. I'm 20, he's 17. And I say, you're 17. Just go figure it out, man. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to enjoy because you only go to the World Cup once in, in your life. That's what older brothers do also, right? They shame their younger siblings when they're not feeling well. Uh, terrible. So I'm just telling him, hey, man, I'm going to stick around. You're old enough. Go find your way. I showed up to the hotel about an hour after I left, which was about an hour after he left. It's about two hours of this deal. And I recognized quickly that it had been two hours when I didn't see him in the hotel. I walked up to my room, I walked down, and I couldn't find him everywhere. Another hour goes by, and by this time, the dread is instrumental. I mean, it is taking over all that I am. I'm about to lose it until I find the concierge who I had contacted the police. I mean, everybody was looking for Horacio, and uh, we got the phone call. Horacio got sick in another hotel, <laughs> and uh, they got a taxi to take him to the Uh, hotel. And when he got to the hotel after a ton of hours before smartphones where you can look people up. And when I saw his face, I lost it. I was both rejoicing and losing it emotionally because I, you know, finally let my guard down and I felt this relief that my 
lost brother was found. That is the tenor that this parable strikes. It speaks to this dread and this relief that we feel when something is lost and is found. And so I want to start reading in Luke 15 that will set up the context. We'll talk about these characters in the story. And then I want to close this morning by asking, what do we learn about God from this parable? And then what do we learn about ourselves? Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost sheep starts in verse one. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. All right, let's take a pause and talk about this. Three folks here. We got Jesus. We have the tax collectors and the sinners. And we have the scribes and the Pharisees. Let's talk about each of them. Uh, Jesus is Jesus, the son of God, who, who became man, who came to rescue all who call upon his name. We have the tax collectors and the sinners. The tax collectors betrayed their own people. They worked for the Roman government to take the money of the Israelites and uh, basically turn it over so that the Romans can continue their empire, army, uh, census, all that stuff. And so the tax collectors were absolutely hated in this time. And, and, and then you have these sinners. These aren't just imperfect people. We say that we at Cypress Creek Church are a group of imperfect people who are all on a journey to follow the only perfect Savior, and that's Jesus. These are folks that continue to sin. They're living lives of sin and, and thus are labeled as lesser than by the tax collectors and the Pharisees, to which when the Pharisees and the tax collectors look, I'm sorry, the Pharisees and the scribes look at the tax collectors and the sinners, and they see them drawing near to Jesus. Not only that, they see Jesus welcoming them, receiving them at his table. They grumble and they scoff. The Pharisees, the scribes were the religious elite. They, they were the know-it-alls. They had been there. They, they knew what was good, what was wrong. On the outside, they looked good, but on the inside, they were pretty rotten. It is them that Jesus is addressing in this parable. Verse 3, so Jesus told them this parable. Let's read it. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Let's talk about who is who. In this story, we have Jesus, who is the shepherd. He is the one who leaves the 99 to go find the one lost sheep. We'll talk about this 
difference in Ezekiel chapter 34, Jesus is the good shepherd and he's replacing the bad leaders of Israel who was supposed to take care of God's people, but don't. And so then he says, the son of David will come. That is Jesus. Again, we'll be in Ezekiel 34 in just a second. That is Jesus. He is the good shepherd. Then we have the one lost sheep. Who is that one, that is the tax collectors and the sinners, the one who are now drawing near to Jesus, who are interested in learning from this amazing teacher who came to rescue them. And, and then we have the 99. Who are they? Well, that's the Pharisees and the tax collectors. We know this at the end where it says that the righteous persons who don't, who, who don't think they need to repent, who, who think they're all good. We're just hanging out. We'll talk about them here in a second. And so what does this parable teach me about God? Well, first and foremost, the Father's heart and mission is to save the lost. Jesus is talking about him and the Father and, and their mission here on earth to seek and to save the lost. That is what it's all about. That's what Christianity is all about. It is the only faith that talks about the creator God who, who was sinned against his uh, or his, his uh, creation sinned against the creator. And yet the creator still pursued a, an imperfect creation. The only God who seeks after every other faith. What do they say? You got to earn your way back. You got to prove your way back in. Mm -mm. Not with our God. Our God seeks and our God saves the lost. Luke 19.10, he's speaking to a Pharisee who does repent. His name's Zacchaeus. And Jesus says this about himself. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. See, in Ezekiel 34, that's what Jesus is fulfilling. There are bad leaders in Israel in the Old Testament, and God says, I am going to show you how to care for my people by sending my son. The leaders were selfish, and now Jesus came to lead selflessly. He says this in Ezekiel 34, 11. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I, in verse 15, myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and put them on his shoulders, right? And, and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. He's saying that he'll leave the 99 to think that they're strong. He'll leave the 99 that are righteous to go after the one who knows that they need help. That is our father's heart. Maybe this morning you're feeling a little lost. Let me just tell you that you were in the right place. If that is the case, our God is here to guide us and to show us that we are not alone, that he is with us and that he has overcome death and rose again so that we can have hope in this broken and crazy and dark place. And the other thing that this teaches us about God is that he sees the one. He sees you, if that's you in this place that feels lost. He sees 
you. He's focused on the one. Who does he leave behind? The 99 that think they're doing all right. He, he, he focuses on the one. When there is a search and rescue operation, now this is modern day, there are three steps to a search and rescue operation. The first one is the size up. You, you analyze the situation. You weigh the risk. You assess whether there's a, a, a safe action plan. And so in this case, the shepherd assesses the situation. He looks at the 99 and he says, this one is worth it. There is value in the 1%. I'm going after this one sheep this morning. He says to you and to me, you are worth it. You were worth it. Jesus came to die for your sins and, and my sins. He is saying through this parable, you are worth dying for. The second is the search. It involves locating victims and documenting their location. Here's the good thing about serving an omnipresent and omniscient, all-powerful and all-present God is that he can find us. <laughs> he knows exactly where we are. What he requires of us is, is acknowledgement that we are lost. That's all. As soon as we say, God, I need you, he's right there. He said, I've been here all along. The search is not very, doesn't take a long time with God. It takes a long time for us, not for him. He knows where to find us. And then the third, love this one, the rescue. It involves procedures and methods required to extricate the victim. Sometimes it's a helicopter that is sent out so that we can be saved. Sometimes it's, it's just a, a, a friend that, that comes to our aid. In this case, it is a shepherd who sees either an exhausted sheep from wandering desolate places and puts this tired sheep on his shoulders, or it is an injured sheep. Maybe it got caught in the thorns. Maybe its own actions brought about consequences that injured this one sheep. And Jesus says, I got you. I'm here to rescue you. In Isaiah 53, 5, 6, again, this is an Old Testament verse that is fulfilled with the coming of Jesus. Isaiah writes about Jesus uh, 500 years, 600 years before Jesus, by the way, but he was pierced for our transgressions, for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was where? On, on him, on his shoulders. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us, each individual has gone astray, has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He sees the one. He sees each of us. So now some questions about us. What, what does this parable say about me? Well, here's, I have two questions. Here's the first one. Uh, do, do I relate to the one or to one of the 99? Right now in this season, do I think I have it all together? I don't need you, Jesus. I'm good. I don't need rescuing. Or do I resonate with the one sheep that has gone away, that has been sought out after by the shepherd. Mark 2, 16, 17, similar context. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him, Jesus, eating with who? Here we have again, same, same crew. 
The sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need the doctor. Hello, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's something that we need to know. If we are followers of Jesus, we should be the very first ones to recognize and to raise our hands and say we need help. I am lost right now. It's the first step. We're celebrating two baptisms after this gathering. We celebrated one baptism after the nine o'clock gathering. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality where you say inside, Jesus, I can't do it anymore on my own. I need you. That is what it means to be the one and not one of the 99 who think they have it all together. If we're honest, a lot of us don't like to ask for directions. I don't. I remember living in the Netherlands in my college years. I took a map before we had, again, the Google Maps on our phones. And uh, we had MapQuest, and I could have printed out the maps, but I didn't have a printer. So I just took an old map, and I was going from A to B, and I got lost. Within five minutes, I knew that I was lost, but it took me about 45 minutes to finally ask for help. And the deeper that I went in to my lostness, the more precarious my situation became. I found myself in places that I did not feel safe at. They felt foreign to us the same way with our lives. The longer it takes us to raise our hands and say, Jesus, I need you, the, the, the longer we, we put ourselves in situations and circumstances that are not good for us. Am I the one or am I the 99? It's interesting that most of the dialogue is about the shepherd and his rejoicing over the one, which leads to this next question. Uh, uh, God is seeking the lost. That's his mission. This is really about the shepherd. Am I joining him on this mission or am I comfortable in my own day-to-day, week-to-week, month to month. Am I doing my thing or am I doing God's thing in my life? See, we can get comfortable just focusing on ourselves, but what he's saying here is, hey, I want you to rejoice with me that one was lost. And that's that's the test. That's how we know whether we're doing things our way or God's way. How do we respond when we hear that someone has said yes to Jesus and is now expressing that through baptism. We as a church, over 60 baptisms in the last few weeks. I think that's a matter of rejoicing. And if we're not rejoicing, then maybe we're grumbling. And if that's the case, then I'm not doing God's thing. I'm I'm doing my own thing because his main thing is he came to seek and to save the lost. And praise be to God those of us that have chosen baptism here in the last few weeks. And hey, I'm praying for more. I know that there's more here in the house that are thinking about making that decision. Let me just encourage you and say, yes, that is your decision that you display outward. Yes, it's awkward when you get wet in front of other people. But isn't that the point? When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we're not living for us anymore. We're living for him. And not only that, it is a bold Symbol as we express our faith through that together as a church family, it encourages us, it moves us, and it reminds us of God's 
mission, which is to seek and to save. No one got this better than Paul. We talked a lot about Paul in the last few weeks through the series on Romans. Paul did this three different times. He said that he was the worst of something, and it was a progression. And you would think that Paul, who wrote 13 of the 27 letters that we have in our New Testament, that was an apostle to the Gentiles, unlike any other person, uh, that, that he would have a reason to boast, that he would have a reason to be like the tax collector, I'm sorry, like the Pharisee or the scribe, to, <laughs> I can't believe Jesus is hanging out with those people. No, Paul's progression went like this. He first said that he was the worst of the apostles. There was only about 12, you know, 12 worst of the apostles. And then as he got older, he said, I'm the worst of the saints. And then at the end of his life, in his penultimate letter to his disciple, Timothy in first Timothy, he says this. This is a trustworthy saying, Paul writes, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, uh, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with, e with, with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. If Paul can call himself the worst of sinners of Paul, can say, I, I am the one. Continually, I am the one that God is after. I think you and I can do that as well. The more that we do that, the more we're actually going to be compelled to seek those who have yet to call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. It is God's mission. May it be our main mission as well. I want to close by... Uh, Going back to that story with my brother, because when I, I saw him and I lost it, I was a little embarrassed, if I'm being totally honest. I'm like, I don't want my younger brother to see me like this. But you know what it communicated to him? It communicated for the first time in our life, in our relationship. He believed that I loved him when he saw my dread and my relief. God's love for us is in that dread as well when we are far from him. But when we come to a knowledge of salvation, when we come to know Jesus as our personal Savior and our Lord, there is great rejoicing in heaven. There are, what I tell my little boys, happy tears in God's eyes when one comes home. Maybe this morning, it's your opportunity to come home and to finally say yes to Jesus, or maybe you've been walking with Jesus. And it's just a good reminder to say, Lord, I, I need you in this area right now. I need you in my life. I am lost. And I need you to put me on your shoulders. I need that journey of healing with you until we finally make it home. There in heaven later on, when there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, and we can live forever with our Savior and our Lord. That'll be a good day. In the meantime, we're on this journey together. Let's close as we respond to God. If you're able and willing, stand with me as we pray. Lord, I know many in the house, like me, need you in this moment. We need to know that you are 
for us. We need to know that you are with us. We need to know that you came to live a perfect life, the life that we couldn't live, and yet died the death that we deserved so that we could be united with you once again. We thank you for doing that, Jesus, through your life, death, and resurrection. We thank you for the hope that we have as a result of that. And if this morning you are ready to surrender your life, start over, be found, and say yes to Jesus, I encourage you to repeat these words after me and say, Jesus, I surrender. I thank you for living the life that I couldn't live and dying the death that I deserved. And thanks to your life, death, and resurrection, gifting me everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of us, Lord, that have been walking with you, Lord, I pray your healing touch as we close. Invite anybody in the house that wants prayer. We'll have prayer here to my left and to my right here in the front. Even if you just want to pray on your own and want to come forward, kneel here in the front and ask for God's healing touch in your life. Thank you for binding up our wounds, for being our healer. And thanks to your wounds on the cross, granting us healing. In Jesus' name, I pray.